Well, this morning, uh, the, the, the topic that has been kind of rummaging around in my head is, uh, you know, can, can people change? Uh, we know that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, forever, for, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. So he doesn't change. But uh, can people change? Now, think of the most desperate person that you know. Think of the most um, uh, person that maybe you grew up with, maybe you still are, are in the community, and you've said to yourself, that person will never change. There is no chance. It just is not going to happen. It's not in the books. You would probably say to yourself, it's going to take a miracle, and a miracle, maybe three miracles, to make that person to change. But then you look at your own life, and you say, my goodness, um, we're not the people we were when we were 12. We're not the people we were when we were 20. We're not the people we were when we were 40, 50, 60, and beyond, uh, possibly. Right? hope we were better not necessarily we're stuck in some kind of a time warp that uh, how we were many, many years ago is how we are today. We would pray that uh, this whole process of sanctification, God is taking all of us as believers and making us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And I think that's really the true goal, isn't it, Christianity? More and more we should look like Jesus as time marches on until we take our last fleeting breath. We should look more and more like the master whom we serve. So, um, I was thinking about that, and what uh, led me to this particular topic uh, was a friend who had called many, many, uh, he was a friend for many, many years. I hadn't seen him for some 40 years. He was a high school friend, and he called me up out of the blue about a month ago. He said, uh, Chuck, this is Jeff. Uh, I'm going to be uh, up there in Washington State, and he said, could we get together? And like I said, I hadn't seen him for 40-some for, for years. And I said, yes, yes, uh, by all means. So uh, let, let's, uh, let's meet someplace, and then you can come to my house, and we can talk, and so on and so forth. And he says, well, uh, uh, so I met him, and he didn't look anything like I remembered Jeff. Uh, Jeff was quite, quite, the, quite the good looker in, in, in my day, many, many years ago in the 1970s. And in high school, of course, uh, he was uh, kind of a magnet there for the opposite sex, as you would say. And uh, he was kind of an Adonis, to be honest with you. And he was a great athlete. In fact, he uh, was a champion pole vaulter. And uh, he went to the state there. I grew up in Iowa. He went to the state tournament. And uh, he himself won the state uh, pole vaulting uh, uh, title that year. And his record stood for a number of years. But when I saw him about a month ago, <laughs> he looked a whole lot different. And, uh, and, and he had a very long beard, he had quite a long hair, ponytail, and he was he he, quite rotund, we would say. And uh, he was traveling with his dog, Cooper. And uh, so we caught up, uh, you know, in a couple of afternoons over 40-some years of, of this and that. And, uh, but it was just interesting. In fact, he even changed his last name. And so I was all confused when he called me and said, my name is uh, Jeff Hunter and not uh, Jeff Husingvelt. And you probably know that name, Husingvelt. No relation to anybody around here. But it was kind of an interesting thing. And so I thought to myself, can people change? We certainly can change in our appearance. But what about inside in our heart? So that led me to a passage. And if you want to uh, follow along with me, you certainly may. It, it's not a, a long passage. It comes from Matthew chapter 13 verses 33 and 35. I'm going to back up just a little bit, and we'll get a running start at those couple of verses. This is the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. This is what we read. Now, this is Jesus telling the story, okay? He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. 
so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. Let's look to God for his assistance in this today. Father, we just give you thanks for this, for this story, this parable that you told, and how many times you told parables are just too many to recount. Because the, uh, one of the writers of the Bible said if we, if we wrote down everything that Jesus said, there wouldn't be enough books, enough volumes to contain all the sayings. But Lord, the ones that you did give your people and for us to guide us and direct us are very sufficient. What you say in these parables, dear God, are just so powerful for all of us to consider just in our generation too in which we live. A very troubled time in which we live. But Heavenly Father, your parables, your parables do not know any time period because they transcend time. And Father, we thank you again and open up our hearts and minds to this word. In the name of Jesus, we would ask it. Amen. I'd like us to think today that the leaven of which Jesus is talking about here in that 60 pounds mixture of dough is the gospel of Jesus Christ and it leavens the world in which we live, that one life that started in Bethlehem's manger. Okay, let's keep that in mind. Many years ago, I read a book by uh, Lloyd Ogilvie, and I went back to that book again in preparation for this, and he tells about an encounter he had uh, with a woman in his church. Uh, Ogilvie went on to be the chaplain of the U.S. Senate for many years, and he would open each Senate, of course, with prayer and so on. But this was one of the accounts that he kept in his book that I read. Let me quote, he says, it changed my personality. That was the confident claim, he says, of a middle-aged entertainer who had just had a facelift. She had gone to a world-renowned cosmic surgeon, and he removed the lines that age and difficulties had plowed deeply into her cheeks. The bags under her eyes were completely gone. With a careful incision along her hairline, the surgeon was able to stretch out the furrows in her brow. You look like a new woman, he had said. And she said, I can only hope I can stay that way. And the surgeon said that plastic surgery and facelifting will be lasting only if there's an inner change in my inner patterns of thought and emotions. He says that my face is an expression of my psyche and that I'll look the way I did again in three years unless I learn really how to live. He recommended that I see a psychiatrist or a spiritual advisor to get a soul lift that will help keep my face lift. Now, isn't that amazing? Everything that we've worked for, all of this uh, tremendous thing of the, 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 the surgery, the plastic surgery, the, the skilled and renowned surgeon that did all this, he said, you've got three years. If something doesn't change inside, then you're going to go back to the way you looked three years prior. So he said there's something inside that needs to be changed as well. Now, he advised perhaps a spiritual advisor, maybe a psychiatrist or whatever it might be. And so today as believers, of course, we know that the one who can really change the inside of our hearts, who we really are, is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the great leaven you see in the world and in our lives. Well, I think there are many people today that would say, well, you know, Chuck, uh, it's, a, it's a good thought, but... Can people really change? Or do they change 50% from what they were? 
if they were really bad? Can they change 50% and make themselves 50% better? Uh, does the gospel change a person 75%? That's the question. The surgery had altered this lady's appearance, as I said, but uh, it didn't change her personality. Now, what does the Bible say about this sort of thing? Can people change from the very inside out? Now, if you go back to that prophet Jeremiah, he was called the weeping prophet, but he said something kind of profound to the people of his day. Now, they were in captivity because they had sinned and they had spurned the, the ways of God, and, and so he kind of let them have it. He said, now, this is how things are going to be, and so you're going to go to that land for 70 years. You're going to be slaves there, but he said, I want you to pray for the king and for all those who rule over us because if it goes well with them, you're in that land too. So pray for those powers and those authorities over you. This was the, one of the sermons that Jeremiah gave the people. And then he said something like this as he continued on his commentary about the human condition. He said, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Of course you would say, absolutely not. You know, a, a leopard can't become a cheetah. A leopard can't become a tiger. They look so much different. They're different species. Or, or someone you see can't change the color of their, of their skin, can they? Now, if you keep up with some of the, the recent evolvement uh, and development, you know, in, in, in human medicine, of course, uh, there's skin bleaching, there's uh, laser surgery, all those kinds of things that we have now. But Jeremiah knew nothing of those sorts of things. But he said, can people really change? These animals can't. But can people? You know, when I think about it, boy, I tell you, you know, my environment and my education, uh, my culture, my life experiences, how I was raised on the farm back in the Midwest, uh, all those things made me who I was. And, and in many ways, I, I, I'm still that, that six-year-old boy that uh, had these bib overalls on and these farm shoes that went to country school. In so many ways, I'm still that little boy. And yet I think of my mom and dad and I think how they raised me and to go to church and to give my offerings and to uh, say the Pledge of Allegiance and know the Lord's Prayer and to go to all these things. Uh, all those things shaped me. But do these things have the final word is always the question. Can we undo those things that we have been taught? What about the decision that we make in our hearts? We're going to be different. You know, every January 1st, when I was younger, I would try to make a, a resolution. One year I told my wife, sweetheart, I got good news, and she's a musician, she plays, plays piano, gave lessons for many years. I said, I'm gonna learn how to play the piano. And she looked and she said, right, you're gonna learn how to, I am. And so I went over to the piano that we had, it was one her grandmother had given us, just an old upright, and I punched a key and said, that's middle C. Oh, my gosh, she said, you really, no kidding, she says, you know where middle C is. That's as far as my lessons got that year. This was many years ago. But you see, I made a resolution. I'm going to be different. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change, you see, my approach to music and so on and so forth. But listen to what the words of Scripture say again. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, or, or I was reading 60 pounds, until it was all leavened. Now, I'm not much of a baker, but I know a little bit about these kinds of things, and I've made some bread myself, but, you know, you take that little bit of leaven and you stick it into a whole lump of dough and you work it through, and all of a sudden the things begin to rise. 
And as I see this, and as you read the footnotes and explanation and the commentary of this particular passage, the Bible says the kingdom of God is like that. Think about how that is true. The kingdom of God, when it came into history, into civilization, how it changed the course of history. We think of that birth of Jesus Christ, remember? We talk about, we, of course, we, we celebrate that on December 25th. But we celebrate the birth of Jesus when he entered history. It was a once and for all event. It was just a, a little bit of leaven in a world of, of, of Roman rule, was it not? All around. But it was that little bit of leaven and how that gospel began to change the world. And uh, Paul, uh, who was uh, truly affected by this wonderful gospel, was able to write to the Galatian Christians. He talked about that time when Jesus broke into history, and he said this. He said, but when the time had fully come, God sent for his son, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, Jesus didn't enter history one day too early or one day too late. He didn't come one decade too soon or three decades later than he should have. But the Bible says when the time had fully come. Don't you ever wonder what God's time frame must be like? What kind of chart he has on his wall to be kind of homey here, but what kind of chart he is going by when he was going to send Jesus into the world? But we do know this, that Paul says it was at the right time it was at the right time, the fully right time. It was not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. So we would say that Jesus invaded history. That little slice of leaven, that little piece of dough, we would say, the gospel came through Jesus Christ because he was called to preach the good news. Jesus was the fullness of God infusing new life into the world. And his death infused the power of all of that. And his resurrection released that power throughout the entire world, but it all began when the fullness of time, when God decided this is the moment for Jesus to be born. So with the coming of Jesus into the world, society was changed and nothing would ever be the same. When we count time, don't we, by the birth of Jesus, we talk about the common era, B.C. and B.C.E., before the common era, everything revolves, you see, around the birth of Christ. So when that little slice of leaven, that little bit of dough came, all of time changed as well. And secondly, I believe, when we take a look at this parable, the Bible also reveals how Christ works in the life of a believer to transform this individual into a saint of God as well. Think about a couple of examples. There's so many in the Bible, but <clears throat> we think about those disciples. You know, when Jesus called them, what were they? You know, a couple of were fishermen, one was a tax collector, and a couple of other folks, we don't know what they did. But Jesus called them, he says, now I want you to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't ask for a show of hands. How many money would be a disciple? Not at all. But he would go there and he would pick them out and say, you, you follow me. And, of course, they did. And, and, and what, a, uh, what a study of unleavened bread in the lives of these particular disciples. When you think about them, man, they were an insecure bunch. They were always clamoring to be the first, and some of them were kind of greedy, of course. We think of Judas, and we think of others who were kind of insensitive, arrogant. We think of Peter. Everybody else going to abandon you, Jesus, but you can always count on me. You know, I'm always going to be the one that's right behind you. I've always got your back, Lord. 
And when we think of their competitive personalities, remember James and John, the mother, came to Jesus and said, would you just grant that my sons would sit on the one on the right and one on the left into your coming kingdom? Would you just promise me something like that, Jesus? They had a competitive mother too, we would say. So Jesus called them, even though they were raw, even though they were small, even though they may have been greedy, their personalities weren't what we would think of a leader. But Jesus came and that leaven began to work into their lives. And the Acts of the Apostles describes the tremendous story that follows this presentation of Jesus Christ into their lives. Churches were built. Uh, communities of faith came to be. People came to know Jesus Christ through their preaching and teaching, their healing, whatever it might be. But God used them in a powerful way because Christ, that leaven, began to work in their lives. And I think of Saul of Tarsus. You remember him, of course, too. And what a dramatic demonstration that was of the leavening influence of the gospel. Now, if you were to do a, a psychological makeup of, of Paul, you would say, my goodness, this is a type A personality. There's no way a guy like that could ever change because he had been steeped in all the things that were of religion base, we would say, and he was persecuting the Christian movement and he had nothing good to say about Jesus Christ. But then on that road to Damascus, when he was out to find people and he was back to bring them back in chains, of course, that great light shone upon him. He heard a voice and he fell face down on the ground. A great persecutor of the church who is now to become a great preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All on that road to Damascus. Saul met the leaven of life in Jesus Christ and everything began to change. And then he was taken into the city and then he met a man by the name of Ananias. And he was warned in a dream that there's a man going to come to you, but you're going to be good to him because he's someone that I have called to present the gospel to the world. And so I, Ananias, and kind of... Uh, kind of fearful, of course, of meeting this great apostle, not yet an apostle, but Saul. He knew his reputation, but he goes and he meets him, and of course, the rest is history. And as Saul is converted and as he continues to tell others his story, to preach the gospel, he comes to these believers in Corinth and he says this. He says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Was he talking about himself? Yeah, I really think so. A new creature in Christ. Paul of all people. You would have voted him in high school the most unlikely to be a religious person to come to know Jesus Christ. But he did, right? It was all the leaven of the presence of Jesus that made the difference. And then he would go on to say in Romans, he said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good, acceptable, and that which is perfect. Can people change? If the Apostle Paul were right here today and we were to ask him, Mr. Paul, Mr. Paul of Tarsus, can people change? He would say, well, I'm an example of what Christ did in my life. And we would say yes. Some time ago I listened to an interview that uh, James Dobson had uh, with a church leader who had been convicted of 17 counts of assaulting young boys. It was, uh, it was a powerful discussion and conversation uh, that I can recall. And, and he had served an extensive prison sentence, and, and now he was speaking at various conferences 
about what had happened in his life, and he gave a run-up to that But in his present time, but what had taken place during that time, the spiritual transformation. And in the interview, he traced a, a very dark journey into the light of God's marvelous grace. And so James Dobson asked him, can a person really change? And he said, Jesus Christ is in the process of changing me even today. And of course, the proof is always in the pudding, is it not? What happens after this, the life we live after the leaven, the yeast of Jesus enters our life. Now, if you were looking at the uh, mental health professional magazines and what they say about people changing, they would say the likelihood of rehabilitation in, in certain kinds of uh, lives are, are almost impossible. And they talk about the human condition as being almost uh, irreparable. Once you've gone down this path, there's really no turning around. You can't even turn around if you want to. And so they describe kind of a bleak assessment, as I said. But friends, when we read the words that are found in the Bible and we look and we examine the lives of those people who came face to face with Jesus Christ, to whom he apprehended, oh, it turns out so differently. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. With Jesus Christ, everything is possible. The bottom line is that people don't change. It's, it only happens in the movies, some people would say. But if they read the word of God, it's a whole different outcome. Remember the story of Jacob, and he was on his way to meet his brother one day. And he was on his way, and of course, uh, he was sleeping under the stars one night, and all of a sudden, as he was sleeping, a, a man came down. And many people think it was a, a theophany. It was an Old Testament presentation of Jesus Christ. They believe it was Jesus. Not everyone does, but many people do. But it was a wrestling with a man of God. And they wrestled not for 15 minutes. Uh, they didn't have a referee there. There was no whistle. They kept wrestling and wrestling and wrestling to the very break of day. And at the very end of that, Jacob would not give up. He would not let go. And he was given a brand new name. God said, no longer would your name be Jacob, but your name will be called Israel striven with God and having prevailed. So you look and say, now, was there a personality change in Jacob? We know that he was tenacious and persevering. But was he a better father after that experience? We don't know. Was he a better leader in his home? Well, we're not told that too. Was he more sanctified after that experience of that wrestling match into the skies? Well, we're really not told that. There's a lot about him that we probably don't find too appealing. But his name was changed from Jacob to Israel God had done the changing. And third, I believe this leaven not only changes history, as Jesus was the incarnation coming as at, at, at the right time, as Paul said, when the time was fully come into the world. Not only does he come into individual believers like Jacob or the life of, of Paul, the, the disciples, and it begins to change us, that leaven of Christ. But also, you see, in this passage, we believe also as, as Christians that what Christ has been in us and what he has done through us now goes out into the community, into the world in which we live. Remember this word of Jesus as he gave it to those people, the, the Great Commission, as they saw him ascending up into the heaven you know, after his resurrection? He said this, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and I am with you even to the very end of the world. So you see, our assignment, 
Jesus first came, we know that, we dated in history, we know it, B.C. and, you know, B.C.E., common era, you know, before Christ, after Christ, and then as he changed those disciples, he begins to change us as modern-day disciples, and then he says, until he comes back again, we're to go out and to be transforming agents in our community, wherever that might be, whatever our age might be, that there's no time limit on this. Jesus never put that. So he says, you go out now, and as, as eleven has leavened you, you go out into your community, into your clubs, into your organizations, your churches, wherever you serve, and you become that change agent as well. And it's an amazing thing that God wants his people to change. Not to change simply for change's sake, but to change to be more like him, to be mature in Christ. And we should be more saintly when we die than when we first believed in Jesus many years ago, Right? We should continue to build on that and to become more saintly in his sight. I think of what the Old Testament writer had said. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. You see, the option that he always lets us is always open. If you humble yourselves before God, he will exalt you. If you pray, he will hear prayers. If you seek his face, he will be found by you. If you turn from your wicked ways, God will lead us in a different path. Isn't that a great promise, how God does that and how he wants to do it? You know, we said some time ago that uh, God never changes. And I think that's the reason why we can have hope in those most desperate around us who need to change and we would say, can it ever happen? Can it ever take place? And then we look at our own lives and we say, but God has changed us. So the opportunity for change is still out there for any person that we see, any individual that we say we cannot write them off because God can change people. When his leaven begins to work in our lives, it changes a community too, does it not? Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Gracious God, how thankful we are that you do not change. How thankful we are today that in spite of all that we see around us, and we see angry people, we see people oftentimes that are, are, are disgruntled. We see individuals that probably uh, uh, seem to want to fight more than they want to talk. We would pray, dear God, that your leavening influence will not be lost in this generation. We would pray, dear God, that your leavening influence to create a community of God's people here in Linden or Ferndale or to the uttermost parts of the earth will continue to prevail. Father, we know that you fundamentally want to change people. We're incapable of doing this ourselves. As the lady in the story at the very beginning, we can get a facelift, we can get a nose job, we can get a tummy tuck, we can do a hundred different things physically. But, Lord, we need that change, and we recognize that on the inside. And we thank you for beginning that process within us, for some of us many, many years ago. But, Lord, the leaven is still in vogue. It's still doing its work. And we would pray that there would be nothing that we do that would somehow stop, dear God, that sanctification process in us. And then we would pray that wherever you take us this week, whatever people that you that you put us, uh, put us uh, in, 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 uh, in the midst of our workaday activities, that we would never write anyone off, knowing that in the very heart of things, we believe that you can change the course of that individual's life. 
Some of us have sons and daughters. We have grandchildren. And Lord, maybe they're going a, a way that is not right. Maybe they're following a path that has led to doom and darkness and disaster. Father, you can turn them around. You can, in the midst of all of that, have a, have a heart transplant, a, a spiritual one. So, Father, we would pray that you would hear these prayers that we pray so carefully in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.